Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, Halloween is over, and I had one Snickers bar, fun size, that's it, and a couple of pieces of licorice, mini size, the fun size, fun size, and uh did very, very uh minimal damage. Minimal damage, that's what I'm looking for. Got to worry about that stuff now, trying to keep it all under control. I'd like to live to be 120, and um, so did not do that much damage. It seemed like it was kind of a non-event Halloween, right? Did anybody really get... Forget that stuff for a second. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. This is, once again, look. You know, I said that there was going to be some smoking gun information about... Um, Joe Biden emerging sometime between Labor Day and Halloween. All right. I made that prediction uh, and I was wrong. There has not been one smoking gun uh, regarding Joe Biden corruption. There have been three, three, baby, three, three since Labor Day and Halloween. And you know what? I was totally and completely right. Uh, these Items would be front page news, wall to wall, constant uh, drumbeat, resign now, impeach him now, impeach him yesterday. If it were Donald Trump, if it were uh, George W. Bush, hey, if it were Bill Clinton, this kind of information, this is astoundingly incriminating. All right. This is real, real bad for Joe Biden. And you're not hearing it anywhere. Number one, I'll get to that in a second. So the latest is, let's see here. We have a 40, they always say, well, where's the money? Where's the money? Joe Biden even said, where's the money? Well, we've been finding the money. We've got the money. All right. Got the $200,000 check that your brother wrote you the same day he got paid by AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps, some failing finance company in the Middle West. Why did they hire James Biden? Because James Biden said, I can get you business because I'm a Biden. And I can get you it from the Middle East. Guess what? He never came up with the business, so they sued him. They were very, and they want the money back, but can't get the money back from uh, Jim because he had already given it to Joe. March 1st of 2018, AmeriCorps pays this guy $200,000. James Biden, the very same day, James Biden writes a check to Joe Biden, his brother. This is damning evidence. This came out over the past several weeks. Now, just uh, also over the past several weeks, That house, that beautiful beach house, it is a nice beach house in Rehoboth Beach, okay, cost $2.75 million. That's not small change. It certainly was was even bigger money back in uh, 2017 when Joe bought it. He was next vice president. Joe was the poorest man in Congress. He always said he was the poorest man in Congress. You notice he stopped saying that when he became vice president. He wasn't talking about how poor he was, but that was a big thing for him. How did he get all that money, enough money to spend $2.75 million on a beach house in cash? He spent it. He spent cash. One check. I would love to be able to do that. Wow. Just buy a house with one check. One check. That's it. No uh, mortgage lender, broker, this, that, and the other thing. Bank credit. Research, uh, uh, 
all that stuff that takes months and the closing costs and this and that. Just write a check. Here you go. I'll take the house. Thank you. Where are the keys? That would be beautiful. Who can do that? The super duper uber rich, which Joe Biden just might be. That's one of the possibilities. He might be a rich man, totally rich man, like the kind of rich man who can write a check like that and not have to worry about it. No big deal. I got the money. And in 2017, this guy was free and clear. 2017, he was an ex-vice president of the United States. When he bought that house, it was just a few months after uh, he left office. He was 70-whatever years old, 76 maybe. Uh, he wasn't going to run for president. Everybody knew that. Nobody was talking about Joe running for president. and He couldn't do anything. So the coast was clear so he could start buying stuff, you know, buying things, big things. He didn't have to worry about it. Remember, De Niro, don't buy anything big because everybody's watching us. Right, we got the FBI, it's in my mother's name. Well, Joe didn't think he had to worry about that because nobody was watching. All right, that the caper was over. So he thought he could just write a check for two point seven five million dollars. Maybe because he's super duper uber rich. Uh also, it's I hear uh from those Russian oligarch guys and uh some of the Chinese billionaires out there, this is a, a great way to launder money. You got all this cash, you gotta stick it somewhere, stick it in real estate. Stick it in the real estate that, uh, that that's protected. It's all kinds of things, all kinds of games you can play with real estate. The money is created illegally, but the real estate is legit. So you put in a legit bit. That's laundry. You clean up the money. All right. So there's those two things. We also found out a couple of days ago that uh, there's like 80,000 emails that Joe sent under anonymous, uh, I'm sorry, aliases. He made up names for himself wasn't Joe Biden, vice president of the United States. It was Robin B. Ware. It was uh, Jonathan Feel, Feels Right. They always had these little play on words, just weird, weirdo names, sending emails. But that's not even the smoke. So we got two smoking guns, plus the weird stuff. And now this. Why would Joe Biden's sister-in-law be writing Joe Biden a check? $40,000. Isn't that weird? It's beyond weird. It's evidence of corruption. No family works like this. All right. Particularly not a, you know, a mom and pop operation like the Biden family. Like they lied to us, right? We're just old. We're just regular folks here in Claymont, Delaware, whatever that was, right? So let's go through it. Let me just hold on. Hold on. I just got this check a few minutes ago. They just put it up. The House Oversight Committee. So here's what went down. Well, do you want to hear the guy talk about it? Let's hear the t- guy talk about it. Right, this is James Comer. I'm going to be talking to him a little bit later. He's a Republican from um, Kentucky, a House Oversight Committee. He should be 10 times more famous than Adam Schiff ever was, right? But this guy, you know, because he's working, he's he's he, he's a MAGA guy. And he's trying to uncover corruption about uh, the Bidens. And they will never admit it to the media because, well, they've denied it for so long. They have... They have failed utterly, so they're never, ever, ever going to even acknowledge this stuff. Congressman Comer laid out the case very beautifully uh, just a little while ago. Let's listen. Remember when Joe Biden told the American people that his son didn't make any money in China? My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. Well, not only did he lie about his son Hunter making money in China, but it also turns out that $40,000 in laundered China money landed in Joe Biden's bank account in the form of a personal check. And the Oversight Committee has it. Here's how Joe Biden benefited from his family's shady deal with CEFC, a Chinese Communist Party-linked company. 
It all began with a shakedown in the summer of 2017 when Hunter Biden sent a message to his CEFC associate demanding a $10 million capital payment. As Hunter Biden extorted this associate, Hunter claimed he was sitting with his father and that the Biden network would turn on his associate if he didn't pony up the money. The extortion scheme worked. Days later, $5 million flowed in from a Chinese affiliate of CEFC. Over the following three weeks, Biden family members made a series of complicated financial transactions to hide the source of the China money. Here's how that happened. First, Northern International Capital, a Chinese company associated with CEFC, wired $5 million to Hudson West 3, a joint venture established by Hunter Biden and a CEFC associate. Stop for a second. Stop for a second. Consider that. Consider that. $5 million just went into a fly-by-night LLC established by Hunter Biden. Why? He demanded it in the WhatsApp text message. I have it. You can have it. It's part of the public record now. He was directly extorting. That's what he said, yelling and screaming at the Chinese, you promise me money. I'm sitting here with my father, the vice president. He's going to ruin your lives if we don't get our money. And a couple of days later, he did $5 million. And why? And this is what Comer always points out. The Bidens, you know, Jim Biden, Sarah Biden, Hunter Biden, they don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to do anything. They, they have no skill. Zero. None, 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 none. All they know how to do is be a Biden. They can't provide a good. They can't provide a product. They can't provide a service other than selling the Biden name, being a Biden. And that's, some people in Washington say, well, that's not illegal. Uh, this kind of stuff is illegal. And actually, you want to go to court and try to battle that out? Fine. You know what this stuff is, though? Every American person can see it stinks. And they would never, ever vote for somebody mixed up in this kind of crap. And the American media, shame on them for ignoring it, for not acknowledging their mistakes. And bless you, James Comer. Let's go back to that tape, please. Keep going. A joint venture established by Hunter Biden and a CEFC associate. Then Hudson West 3 sent $400,000 to an entity owned and controlled by Hunter Biden. Next, Hunter Biden wired $150,000 to Lion Hall Group, a company owned by James and Sarah Biden. Sarah Biden then withdrew $50,000 in cash from Lion Hall Group. Later the same day, she deposited it into her and James Biden's personal checking account. A few days later, Sarah Biden cut a check to Joe Biden for $40,000. The memo line of the check said, loan repayment. Like the payment to Joe from AmeriCorps funds, it's certainly plausible that this payment where James and Sarah used funds from China was indeed a loan payment to Joe. But even if this $40,000 check was a loan repayment from James Biden. It still shows how Joe benefited from his family cashing in on his name with money from China, no less. Without his family peddling his name and his son threatening a CEFC associate with consequences that he said Joe Biden knew about, James wouldn't have had the money to write the $40,000 check to his brother Joe. It's also worth remembering that Biden family efforts to secure millions from this Chinese company began when Joe Biden was still vice president. 
in taking funds sourced to a CCP-linked company that wanted to advance China's interest, Joe Biden exposed himself to future blackmail and put America's interest behind his own desire for money. Yup, you better believe it, Congressman. You open yourself up to blackmail. Lots of things start to make sense, right? Joe Biden running all over the country saying what good friends he is with President Xi, but he can't call President Xi when China floats a balloon over the entire continental United States. What do we do? We take a wait-and-see approach. Let's wait and see the balloon uh, go across the country and suck up all kinds of intelligence and all kinds of electronic data. Yeah, let's just wait and see it go. Why didn't he uh, shoot the damn thing down? He did. Once it got, <laughs> once it left the United States, right there, right there. That's really, that's really bad. This guy is thoroughly and completely compromised. If you can't see it, you're, uh, you're on another. You're in denial. You're just. Um, and part of me understands that because you know you've been uh, you've been hearing about the MAGA people and what a threat to democracy we are and what monsters we are and Donald Trump is a monster and we're all monsters and democracy hangs in the balance. Well, you've been lied to. You have been lied to. And the truth, really, it's so beautiful and free to be immersed in the truth. I invite you, and I'll be right back. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Traffic jams tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So we just have this uh, smoking gun information about uh, Biden family corruption. And uh, what's everybody doing on TV right now? Breaking news. Donald Trump Jr. expected to testify in New York civil trial. Donald Trump Jr. Why is he being harassed and picked on? Well, his name is Trump. Uh, His father had the nerve to go to the swamp and try to bust it up. And now they're punishing, punishing, punishing Trump. They're punishing MAGA. They're punishing anybody. And they're trying to scare away people. They're trying to scare away blue chip, uh, uh, blue chip companies, blue chip law firms, blue chip everybody. Stay away from MAGA. Stay away. And you know what? All we got right now are the people. You know, the establishment, the powers that be, this whole damn system is really just going with the flow here. Yeah. Some of these corporations, they don't give a damn. They just want to sell the product and do whatever the mob, whatever is fashionable at the time. Whether that's Black Lives Matter, whether that's not saying anything in support of Israel, even though they're facing genocide right now. Yeah, right? A wink and a nod to the uh, to the Hamas supporters out there. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to. Right. Just don't just keep buying that crazy junk you got in our uh, stores, right? Just do that, please, and uh, we won't cause any trouble whatsoever. The whole damn system, the whole damn thing. I know that sounds kind of overly simplistic, maybe overly, and I would have said, but no, it's it's it. I see it as clear as day now. And uh, too many, 
Too many people are intimidated. Too many people, you know, God bless the Trumps. They're fighting every single day. This is not the first time he's been hauled into court or hauled in before the Intelligence Committee. You know, it's funny. When Hunter goes to court, it's to... uh you know, it's a gentleman's plea agreement that's been worked on, right? Oh, yes, I'll come by and uh, attend to this matter. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, for, 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 for the Trumps, it's a, a subpoena. You know, it's a very adversarial. It's a real, it's a, it's a burden beyond a burden. It's, they're trying to destroy them, but they're messing with the wrong family. They're messing with the wrong movement, MAGA. I mean, look at it. Look at how well he's doing. The more they try to get him, the more he's succeeding. It's kind of a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you think about it. Um, it's ugly at the same time that he's got to go through this. but And there is a huge silver lining. You know, if Donald Trump won re-election outright, I think he actually did. But I can't prove that. And there are, I do know I have grave concerns about the fairness of the 2020 election. Okay. I really can't prove it. I don't have the technical know-how. I don't, I mean, I ha- I can take you through Pennsylvania. I gotta say all this stuff, by the way. And I do believe this. I, mathematically, I can't prove it. I can point out all of the weirdo stuff that happened. Now, Joe Biden is the president winning 80 counties and losing 4,562. Okay, whatever. Yeah, but that's where all the people is. Shut up with that, okay? All right. I have, da- I have doubts. I have real doubts. And it's okay. It's America. You're allowed to, right? Okay. So uh, where the hell was he going with that? All right. Uh, oh, if Trump had been uh, stayed in office, so, you know, he'd be one year out from leaving. He'd be one year out. He'd be a lame duck. He would be a lame duck right now. And instead, you know, as Trump has um, arguably, you know, not been in power, he has kind of still been in power. He's influencing the the culture, the Global conversation. He's inspiring. He continues to inspire tens of millions, hundreds of millions, perhaps billions all over the world. This is interesting. You hear the Arab community? The uh, Arab uh, Americans are uh, fleeing Joe Biden. They're fleeing him. Number one, uh, they probably know weakness. <laughs> they don't like, they don't like him. Arab Americans, Irish Americans, you name it, that's fine. You just come here, right? You assimilate, you're an American, that's beautiful. I don't care where you came from, I don't care what your heritage is. Quite frankly, even if it's Irish, even if it's, I mean, I'm just not that into it. It's whatever, it doesn't matter, we're all here. Arab Americans are some of the greatest people. Those who were born here and those who took the oath that they came here from somewhere else, that's what I love about Anyway, uh-oh, there's the damn music. So what I'm saying is, if you look at it, right, it'll be from, if Donald Trump wins this, and I think he will, he will have been a major force in American politics for 15 years. If you add it all up from the time he announces a uh, campaign to the time he's done with his second term and even longer than that. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, hey, I'm looking at footage. Uh, I got two, two, two pieces of video right next to it. One is total chaos. I mean, people running, running like mad. It looks like, uh, they're running across a field. It's at night and they're running and all kinds of people are falling down and, uh, they're carrying a lot of stuff. It's like, imagine, um, 
You know the Yankee Stadium? Remember in the old days when the Yankees would win the World Series and everybody could run around on the field? It kind of looks like that. But they're all, they're not just running, they're kind of generally going in the same direction. All right, that's what it looks like. That's what I'm looking at. And on the other side, I see uh, I see a line of about mm, 30 people, and I see a bus. I see some guy in uniform with a notepad. And then, uh, okay, there another line is formed, and there's a bunch. Okay, all right, again, on the left, total mayhem and anarchy. I'm telling you, this is right out of... Uh, when Reggie Jackson hit the three home runs, that was the uh, that was the 1977 World Series, right? Yeah, this is uh, I mean total pandemonium on the. Remember they destroyed the field? You could do that back in those days, right? Now you can't do that anymore. Um, but that's what it looks like on the left, and then on the right, it just looks like my goodness gracious, it's just a it's outdoors. There's some sort of gate, some sort of fence that all the people are on one side of. There's a line and. There's like a little crowd, a little bit of a crowd. It's almost like, hmm, you ever walk down 42nd Street or uh, 44th Street and Broadway uh, Then just before a show opens, just before, you know, when you go to a Broadway show, there's kind of like people on the sidewalk. It's starting to look a little bit like that. All right, so we've got some people. So um, one of these scenes is a war zone, and the other is the United States of America. Okay. The pandemonium and the chaos. I'm looking at the Texas border. I'm looking at Texas right now. It is. This is the war zone. It's unbelievable what's happening there. This, this is from three nights ago. It's total and complete anarchy. They're out of control. Nobody knows what's going on. Other than that they're going to get in the country. And not have to go through the hassle and burden of uh, checking in with, uh, let's see. Uh, the country. <laughs> On the right, I'm looking at that orderly piece of video. And guess where that's from? Gaza. That's the war zone. And they're very orderly. They got a little, little, they got the little guys with their hats and the clipboards and a line here and a bus that seems to be waiting and a gate. And then there's another line and there's a, that's it. The war zone. As they act together, we don't totally incredible it's really kind of just striking this is <laughs> all right here's another wait a second what's this now what's this all right well you know how this is going to go i'm looking at more video of more crazy stuff a bunch of people huddled under a bridge it's got to be four thousand people under this little bridge and it's not a fancy bridge it's like one of those highway bridges it's like uh you know, with the Long Island Expressway, it's like elevated at certain points. If you go through Queens, it's like under there. And there are like four, four to nine thousand people at least. All over. And they got like weirdo tents made up or not tents. They're like towels under, on, on top of sticks. Wow. Can't really tell where this is geographically. On the other side, let's take a look. Hmm. Quite frankly, I don't see a damn, I don't see anybody. I see one guy off in the distance with a fence. It's a beautiful, clean street. Clean. It's very clean. It's got arrows pointing uh, mostly one way. Hmm. Let's see what this is. Ooh. This is the border between Ukraine and Poland. <laughs> this is the border between Ukraine and Poland. 
We got a refugee. We got <laughs> but the crisis is here. We're sending all that kind of crazy money over there. You see what's happening? This is visually fascinating to watch. It's apps. It's really great. Oh, I'm going to have to do something with this. You know, it kind of reminds me when I met this city councilwoman once, you know, who was very ambitious, wanted to be, you know, they all wanted to be something, right? And she came on one of my old shows to tell me about some stupid uh, resolution that the city council was preparing and that they were going to object to stop and frisk, right? And that's what they were all doing, right? And I remember um, kind of looking at her funny. And I remember Rosanna being really kind of fired up because they were about two weeks away from opening the trash distribution center on the Upper East Side, that thing they put right, right on like 86th Street, a great big, you know, we used to bring the trash, you know, no offense, Staten Island, we used to bring it to great, what was that, great kills, and we'd bury it there. Did we still bury it there? But now we have this plan. Every borough must uh, somehow uh, dispose of its own trash. Uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I'm all for Staten Island, but, you know, I mean, the last thing in the world was you don't put a trash depot right next to uh, East 86th Street. Unless you're de Blasio and you want to prove some stupid political point. Right. I think that's what it was all about. Anyway, um, so Rosanna gives her a hard time, justifiably so, about this uh, trash uh, garbage can headquarters. Right there uh, on the Upper East Side. And people from all economic walks of life live on the Upper East Side. And it's kind of wild about the Upper East Side. You know Barack Obama lived on the Upper East Side uh, when he was uh, in his 20s? You know who else lived on the Upper East Side? Lee Harvey Oswald. Yep. Presidential assassin, I think. You know, we haven't gotten the whole story about that, but I think he shot Kennedy. Maybe it was some help. He actually lived two blocks away from Obama many years uh, before, but whatever. All kinds of people live on the Upper East Side. Nobody wanted the trash station there. So uh, Rosanna starts to give her a hard time about this trash station. And I say to her, after they, they're kind of, so, so let me ask you something, uh, Councilwoman. Something, uh, how many complaints have you gotten about this trash station? Right, a lot, right? Yeah, she said, yeah, people are upset. I know, I know, I know, I know. Can't do anything about it, right? No, can't do anything about it. Nope, nope, no, no, no. How many complaints have you gotten about stop and frisk? Dum dum dum, deer in the headlights. She came there to talk about this stupid resolution that they designed. We're going to condemn stop and frisk, and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. Not one of her constituents, she, to her credit, she said, "Uh, nobody." <laughs> uh, they're just so out of touch with where the people are. I wonder why that is. Hello, Adam. How you doing, sir? Fine, fine. What's going on? Well, I was listening to you. I kind of missed you. You was gone for a few days. I'm like, where's this guy at? But anyway, uh, I was listening to you and you were talking about, you know, maybe Trump could be there longer. We don't want autocracy, sir. We want democracy. No, what I, wait, wait, wait. Shut up. Do me a favor, Adam. Don't give me this crap, all right? All right. Do not, do not, do not do that, all right? Do not do that. Um, what I said was, that if he gets elected, right, again, he would be elected in 2000 and uh, what's that, 2025, right? 2025, he'd become president. And then he'd stay president until 2029. Now, I don't believe constitutionally he's allowed to run for a what would be a third term. But you'll notice I was talking about his influence, his influence, right? Because he's been influential in this interim. 
Okay? Don't lecture me about autocracy and democracy, all right? You are falling for this toxic, these toxic lies of the left, all right? That somehow MAGA is not for democracy. You know, Barack Obama, you think he's a man of influence right now? Let me tell you, he is. He's actually running the country, all right? But forget that. Let's say he's not running the country. He's definitely influential. He's definitely an influential guy. His Twitter, he's got 80 million billion uh, followers, right? Joe Biden takes his calls. So when I said, and perhaps even longer, that means that Donald Trump, if he leaves office in 2029, it's not, he's not done being Donald Trump. There could be many years, or a few years at least, I hope, of him being influential. All right? Jeez, Adam. I thought you would know me a little bit better by now. You know, you, 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 you know when I'm not here. You miss me when I'm gone. I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, I know all about democracy. I, you know, no, I don't want to brag or anything like this, but, you know, I hear others do it all the time, so why not? I took an oath, all right, to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. I did, actually. Every time I got promoted, every time I, uh, when I joined the Marine Corps, every time I uh, got, uh, oh, yeah, I had to take that oath. And the Constitution says what it says. However, I will say this about those jerks who, who brag about that, even though I just did, but I'm not doing it in a jerky way. Some of them, like General Milley, like, think, he thinks it's his job to interpret the Constitution and run around actually protecting the Constitution. His view of the Constitution, what it means. Well, we have a Supreme Court for that. His job was to advise President Trump and didn't, and he didn't do it. He did not do it. And I can prove it. I can prove it. Oh, that reminds me, Tommy Tuberville. Uh, how's Tommy doing? I love Tommy Tuberville. Anyway, Adam, that's what I have to say about that. How's the bus? Uh, the bus is coming along okay. Um, you know, just over and over the same thing, backing in and out of those terminals. I'm off today, today and Thursday. So, Hey, what? Uh, do you really live in Mineola? Yes, sir. And Close is to it. Uh, Close to it, right? Now, what What do you mean of close to it? I knew you didn't live in Mineola. I knew you were. I have a feeling your real name isn't Adam either. It sure is. All right. Well, why did you fib about the Mineola part? Because that's the only place, you know, you don't even know little towns out there. I bet you're in Carl Place. Is that where you are? See what I'm saying? Are you in Carl Place? Are you in Carl Place? I've heard of it. Are you in Carl Place? Yes, right now I sure am. Well, what do you mean? Where do you live? Where do you go to bed at night? Uh, Hempstead. Well, Hempstead is one town over from Mineola. Exactly. All right, so you're trying to, you know, you don't want everybody to know where you are. I, I, I mean, look, I'm, yeah. my dad actually tells me again, you know, you really pry into the callers, you know, they don't want to say. Well, I say, you know where I am, you know where I work, you know. Anyway, Adam, that's fine. Um. Yeah, Hempstead. Did you go to Hempstead High School? No, sir. I got kicked out of high school. What did you do? Uh, we had a fire extinguisher fight, like Bowman did over there, and pulling the fire alarm. We had a fight with the fire extinguishers, and we got expelled. Me and my friends. And you never went uh, back. That's it. They kicked you out for good. Yeah, that was it. No, you can't come back. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. I actually played with the fire extinguisher myself, and that was very serious stuff. I almost got caught. Almost. 
but I didn't do the foam. It sounds like you probably did the foam one and ruined it, right? The, the smoky one, right. Yeah, yeah that, we, we that's going to get yeah. you. You can't cover that up. I did the one with the water, and it was no big deal, and we sprayed each other, and if you didn't push it for anyway. All right, Adam, well, anyway, it sounds like everything worked out. I can't, I'm sorry that happened to you. What grade are you in? Uh, I was in the 11th. I had to end up getting the GED. Well, they should have given you a second chance. Well, I, I, I needed a whole bunch of second chances in my life, but anyway, yeah. Well, it sounds like, hey, look, you're driving that bus. You're doing good. Uh, I know you're a smart guy. I appreciate it, Adam. Um, thank you for telling us a little bit more about yourself, the genuine self. You see, the genuine you. Um, I like it, Adam, okay? Thank you for calling. Thank you for keeping in touch. And um, you're not down and out, are you, right? You're not feeling melancholy right now. Are you blue? No, I got I got two days off, sir. So right. I'm only resting up, exercising, eating nutrition, food, and oh. uh, taking it easy. All right. Excellent. Keep it up. I appreciate it, Adam. Thank you, sir. I'll see you later. Uh, I have to do this about um, my orcas. Did you see this about uh, this is the new thing? This is the new thing. You, you you get out of questions. He's a Homeland Security guy. You avoid sensitive questions by telling sob stories, personal sob stories. Uh, Josh Hawley has given him a hard time, all right? You know, the Republican from uh, Missouri. He's great. The guy's a superstar. Cut 21, please. This is Hawley beating up on, uh, appropriately so, um, the Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas. 21. What about people who say things like, people who say things like, F Israel and any Jew who supports Israel. This person works for you. This is Nuja Ali, an employee of the Department of Homeland Security. That's not all she posted. This is a paraglider, a Hamas paraglider, with the celebratory Free Palestine. Is this is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. What have you done about this? Four things I'd like to say to you. Number one, your question to suggest that it, that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. Never I'm sorry, what have you This person works for the Department of Homeland Security. Have you fired her? That was one of four answers. Have you fired her? One. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Has she been fired? Has she been fired? So uh, that individual has been placed on administrative leave. So she's not one. been fired. Number two, the individual was hired in 2019. Why has she not been Number fired? three, I cannot speak to an ongoing personnel matter. Why Why has this person not been fired? Your answer is you can't speak to it? This isn't sufficient to fire her? I am not in a position. She's still on your payroll as we sit here today. I'm not in a position to speak about an ongoing person. I'm not asking about that. I'm asking you how many cases she adjudicated. My uh, answer remains. Did she adjudicate any cases involving Israelis seeking asylum in this country? Same answer. I think the American people deserve to know. Has, has she admitted, contrary to law, individuals who should not be in this country or denied Jewish refugees whose genocide she's advocating, asylum that they deserve. Same answer. 
You're not going to tell us what this person's done? You conduct a review of her cases at least? I cannot speak to an ongoing... You said that you will not. I can't believe that you would come to this committee knowing this. You know about this. I've written to you about it. You know all about it. And you come here unwilling to answer and suggest that it is wrong of me to ask you the question. And I think the fact that you are not willing to provide answers to this committee is absolutely atrocious. Well done. Well done. Hey, how many people voted for uh, Hawley? 1.2 million. How many people voted for Mayorkas? Zero. Zero. You see how unresponsive, how resistant, how stubborn, right? How they resist, we the people. You may not like Josh Hawley, but that's the way it works. He represents the people, us. And what Mayorkas did next is really pathetic. I've got that in a moment. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, I do want to do this, and it's the new thing. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the Attorney General did it, Garland. Uh, Mayorkas did it yesterday. Now, keep in mind, Mayorkas, he's 60 years old. He's going to be, six, no, 63 years old. He's going to be 64 sometime this year. He was born in the year 1959. I think that's kind of relevant here when he, you know, look, our country is obviously uh, falling apart in so many ways. We have no border, right? We have uh, enemies all over the world who want to kill us. We have a federal government more concerned with uh, uh, gender and pronouns and all that nonsense than actually doing their job. And that's indefensible, especially when you're in, you know, on <laughs> sitting in front of a guy like Josh Hawley. How do you handle it, right? Well, you handle it. You, you try this stunt. Listen to this stunt. A play for sympathy. Ready? Cut 22. Frankly, Mr. Secretary, I think that your performance is despicable. And I think the fact that you are not willing to provide answers to this committee is absolutely atrocious. Mr. Chairman, may I? Like, if you'd like to have a, a minute to respond, you are oh, welcome I, to. I would, and I'm not sure I'll limit it to 60 seconds. That's fine. Number one, uh, what I found despicable is the implication uh, that uh, this language tremendously odious, um, uh, actually it could be emblematic of the sentiments of the 260,000 men and women of the Department of Homeland Security, number one. Number two, uh, Senator Hawley takes a... Stop for a second. Adver- it's funny. You know, you see what he's doing? He's hiding behind the men and women of the border security, the men and women of the Department of Homeland the men and women. This is about you, all right? This is about you, Mayorkas, but it's a cowardly thing to do. They always do it, the men and women. It sounds like they're supporting them. No, they're hiding behind them. Keep going. Ariel approach to me in this question, and perhaps he doesn't know my own background. Perhaps he does not know that I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. Perhaps he does not know that my mother lost almost all her family at the hands of the Nazis. And so I find his adversarial tone to be entirely misplaced. I find it to be disrespectful of me and my heritage. And I do not expect an apology, but I did want to say what I just articulated. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, can, can I just respond since he has referenced me personally? Senator Hawley, we need to So they on. don't let him talk, you know what I mean? They don't, Hawley. And everybody in the media, they're all playing what you just heard, as if this is somehow significant or whatever. And they're saying, oh, Hawley should have known that. Number one, I quite frankly, it doesn't make any difference. He was born in 1959. 
you know, it's not about your heritage. It's about your decision-making and your judgment at work. All right? There's a huge difference. It makes no difference, quite frankly, that stuff. Funny how... Anyway, more when I come back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, so what do we think about Matthew Perry, huh? That was uh, that was sad news. Um, dead at the age of 54. I mean, yeah, kind of shocking. It is shocking. I know he had all his problems and addiction issues, but still shocking when somebody of uh, that uh, level of fame, and he's pretty damn famous, household name famous, uh, yeah, that's household. Matthew Perry, everybody knows right away who you're talking about. Uh, young people, old people, friends was such a phenomenon. I actually remember seeing him in a movie called 17 again in 2009. Yeah, you saw it too, Diego? It was a great little film is about, wait a second, what the hell happened? Yeah, so somehow, anyway, it doesn't matter. He was good in the movie. He became a, he was a 45 year old, whatever, and, uh, Oh, who was that guy, that young guy, the young, uh, who was the actor? It was, uh, the guy from High School Musical. I'm blanking on the name too. What's his name? Yeah, him. Uh, him. Charlie St. Crow, Charlie St. Cloud, whoever played Charlie. Anyway. Zach Efron, Zach Efron. Zach Efron. Zach Efron, 17, he's 45, and somehow their, uh, identities switch, and the 45 year old is in the 17 year old, and the 17 year old is in the 45 year old, and it's actually a very fun, uh, cute movie. Not an original idea that's been done a couple of times. And I thought, like, you know what? This guy actually is pretty likable as an actor. I, I was never that into Friends. So, um... I think, uh, what? no, I think Matthew Perry transforms into the 17. It's just the one person. They don't switch. No. No, you're wrong. Uh, Matthew, uh, the, the Zach Efron becomes Matthew Perry. And Matthew Perry, uh, wait. Zach Efron becomes Matthew Perry. And Matthew Perry becomes... You're thinking Zach of Freaky Efron. Friday, but no, no, it's, uh, no, it's no, Matthew. no. All right, wait, no, 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 you're wrong. Zach Efron, oh, I don't really, Zach Efron's in the movie. He's 17, right? And what's his name? Uh, Matthew Perry. You should see this movie. It's very good. Is, is, is 45, right? Right? So you're telling me what, I'm telling you that in the movie, you know, the bodies stay the same, but the personalities switch. The soul of Matthew Perry Goes into Zach Efron, and Zach Efron's soul goes into Matthew Perry. Now you tell me how I'm wrong. Uh, you're thinking of a Freaky Friday situation. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because so in Seventeen again, don't you remember when Zach Efron is in high school and he's telling all those girls how men should treat them and how they should be respected and how this and that, and he's talking to them like a father would talk to them, but he's young and 17, so they're actually listening to him, but it's an old soul, Matthew Perry's soul, talking to him. Meanwhile, um, the uh, 17-year-old guy, Matthew Perry is having all kinds of hijinks with dating and stuff like that. Does this ring a bell? The movie came out 18 years ago. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, all right, okay. all right. So, I mean, I, I'm right, though. I, okay, I'm, I'm right, totally right. right. Go go call up a clip. Go. I will. Okay. Anyway, he's a good guy, but he lost his way. Well, they, they talk about it as, an, as a disease, right? Two things that surprised me about it. Um, when he was working on Friends, and they were making, at one point, a million dollars an episode, and he was still in his mid-20s. I was aware of him. Didn't watch the show, but I was aware of him, and he was making a lot of money. And I know money sometimes gives you all kinds of options and that kind of thing. That might be part of it. My mom says too much of anything is actually not good. Too much of anything. Money, looks, 
intelligence even like too much in one direction could be a problem. Maybe it was too much money. But anyway, I was surprised that his life, he had a lot of structure. You know, working on a TV show like that, there's a lot of structure. You got to be in at seven. You got to do this. You got to do the rehearsal. You got to do that. He didn't have time to get drunk or do the other stuff, but somehow he did. And he spent a lot of time in rehab. Um, I saw a beautiful video kind of, and it was very sad too, chronicling his life in reverse order from the old, from the more recent pictures where he looks pretty rough all the way back, all the way back to, you know, through his, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, teenager years, and all the way back to when he was a baby. And there's, you know, beautiful music in the background, and it ends with his mother feeding him. He must have been six months old. I know his parents separated when he was about one. And you see the dad with him, too. It just, you know, it, 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 it'll make you cry if you look at it. And there's something about it that you just look at it, and you love human, you, you love humanity. You love You love people when you look at this thing. No matter if you disagree with them all the time or whatever, or you don't watch their show, something very beautiful about it. Now, you love humanity, but there's one thing, though, that I don't think Matthew, and I don't never knew him, and I'm not judging anybody or anything like that, but I wish, you know, I, I, I wish I had met the guy. And I would have told him, and his problems were much more severe than mine. But what really set me up for freedom from Substance abuse, in my case, alcohol, was faith in God and learning about God through the Bible. And, uh, you know, if the Bible confused him, he wasn't, he wouldn't have been alone. There's a Charles Stanley Life Principles Bible that I, someone gave me, and many years later I started reading and whatever, and the, the footnotes, it helped me, and I don't need the, I don't need the training wheels anymore. So here's, and what he's about to say here is, is nice, all right? But I think it's lacking. And it's lacking Jesus. It's lacking God. It's lacking awareness of, uh, that there is a God. He wants to help us. He loves us. He wants a relationship with us. Let's see here. Where is this? Uh, again, this is all fine, what he says. But, well, actually, I might have an issue with one or two little things. Cut 16, please. Cut 16. The Joker just wants to see the whole world burn. So does alcoholism and addiction. It took over decades of my life, and I pray to you, if you worry that you're having this problem or you know somebody that is, raise your hand, find somebody who's smarter than you about this, and talk to them and be honest about it because the secrets are what kill us. I was on Friends getting watched by 30 million people, and that's why I can't watch the show because I was, like, brutally thin. I went to my first rehab. I didn't really learn anything. I kind of just imitated Michael Keaton the whole time. And I was placed in some kind of spiritual guy's office, and we talked a little bit. And as we were done talking, he turned me around and said, just remember, it's not your fault. And I went, what? He said, it's not your fault. And I went, say that again. It's not your fault. And I said, what do you mean it's not my fault? I'm the one who's doing it. What do you mean? And he explained addiction and alcohol to me, and he saved my life. You know, the thing that always makes me And then repeats, it repeats. Uh, I, look, that's all, that's all nice. You know, it is. It's not, and I'm not, I never been a rehab. I don't know anything about that stuff. It does sound like it wasn't really working though, right? It wasn't really working. And I know it can be a sickness. At one point he said he was just taking the pills to feel normal. So it's beyond. But I do think though that, you know, he, he heard from a, a, what he called a spiritual guy. He heard it from a spiritual guy. This advice that, you know, it's not your fault. Um, well, 
I'll just say this about the fault part. You know what? I don't know. I don't know. I know disease, but you know, you made a mistake at some point. You know, it's okay. We all make mistakes. I think we have to take responsibility for some of our mistakes. Nothing wrong with that. You know, you see, like you have nothing to feel guilty about. You know, you have nothing. You did nothing wrong. It's not your fault. You're a total victim here. Now, some people may think that's a better way to look at the world. I don't think it quite frankly is. But the spiritual guy part, right? The spiritual guy. And I'm sure that all of these institutions, these rehab centers, these uh, addiction residences had spiritual guys hanging around and so sober coaches and all those stuff. But the ultimate coach of the universe, God, does not figure very prominently in uh, anything that he's kind of discussing and in, 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 in his journey. And uh, I don't, quite frankly, fault him for that. I, I, I don't. I just wish that maybe he was, maybe he rejected it, or maybe he did embrace it and not, and I'm just talking, you know, I shouldn't, I'm talking out of school here or whatever, but I, that's my sense. And if he didn't hear much about it, it wouldn't surprise me in the least, because what the hell does our society say about that? You know, uh, talk about it on Sunday if you must. You know, do not, no, 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 don't you dare. You're offending my, Identity. We can talk about LGBT, queer, IA, plus this, that, and the other thing, and my pronouns, and your pronouns, and their pronouns, and the, they, them, thou. But uh, the, the, they, them, thou in the Bible? <laughs> You're on your own. You know, you might offend somebody with that. Well, nobody seems to mind that they're offending me with all this uh, story time drag hour in the school with the four-year-olds. That's offensive, and that's, that's, that's like, it's a threat. That's a threat. I'm talking about a book. I think it's the ultimate book and the ultimate key, and it's so much more. But I'm talking about a book, the Bible. I am talking about God and his son, Jesus, and just sharing uh, what they did for me <laughs> and how grateful I am and how, yeah, sometimes I feel bad and sometimes I am at fault when I turn my back, when I think I know better, when I'm going to do this because, you know what, I deserve it. Because I, you know what? Eh, whatever. I'm gonna do this because it makes me feel good. I'm, uh, I, I did some good. I'm gonna, yeah, that's on me. That's a mistake. That's a fault. That's bad. And there are rules. And there are laws. And they are there not to, you know, not to, not to put a crimp in our style or anything like that. They're there to protect us, to maximize our joy. I also feel sad. He's 54, never married, no kids. That's tough, too, right there. But you know what? I it almost happened to me. There are plenty of people out there who can have full and fine lives single. It's happening more and more. Happening more and more. You know there's a war with the family, right? There is. They're, they're trying to take away the family, the family structure. That George Soros character, what's his role in all of this? He's that guy. I saw some crazy comments from him over the week, and I'll have them in uh, in a little bit. Do you feel a little bit? Uh, I don't know. Like you don't have that much authority, though. That how much agency? Well, number one, from God, and you'll get it all. And number two, Victor Davis Hanson, one of the great academics out there. Some great content. You know, I bitch and moan about the content online, but you do become acquainted with guys like Victor Davis Hanson, even on Instagram. Listen to this. Cut 17, please. The great professor, Victor Davis Hansen. Cut 17. This idea that 
the system is going to hell and you're going to move to Tennessee or you're going to move to rural Idaho or you're going to get out of California while you can. You're not going to watch the Emmys. You could care less about the latest Hollywood movie. You just drop out of culture. You say, you know what? The left controls all the institutions, K through 12 education corporations. I don't think it works. And when you get engaged and you hold Disney to account or Anheuser-Busch or Target or you start calling out these professors, then things start happening. They wake up and they find out, wow, we're powerful. We're the majority. They have the institutions, but we have the people. It's kind of like a proverbial dragon that's waking up and finds out he's powerful. Does that make sense? Right? So we got to do our part. We got to do that stuff I've been talking about. You got to write letters. You got to engage. You got to, uh, uh, stand up. You can't run away from this stuff. We, they've got the institutions, right? They're pulling the strings, but, uh, we're the people. And in America right now, at least on paper, that still means something. And I think it does mean something. Hey, Barbara is out there. Uh, Barbara Samuels. She lost her brother the other day. We're very sorry about that. We won't be hearing from her in a little, for a little bit. Uh, because of, uh, you know, uh, the arrangements and all that stuff. So we wish her peace and I'm always inspired by her and she's been, you know, whatever it is you can do, do it because, uh, it would be a bigger, you know, uh, we need her back because she can quote Sam Adams better than I can. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, Mike Pence had a dropout, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, he, uh, he deserved to, uh, I'm sorry, he deserved that humiliating defeat. He did. He certainly did. More on him in a moment. But first, uh, Perry is in Garden City. Hello, Perry. Hi, Greg. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Greg, here's my question. How is it that Eric Adams is somehow able to come up with the two billion or so to cover the annual cost of the illegal immigrants? I mean, if he has the ability to cut those costs in his various budgets, why hasn't he been doing it all along? Seems uh, like there's just a lot of fat in those budgets. Well, listen, there's a lot of fat in his head, number one, all right? There's nobody's doing, doesn't know what he's talking about. I actually think that these numbers are uh, totally wildly inflated, uh, actually, as well. I, uh, number one, we shouldn't be even hosting these uh, immigrants, you know. Hold on. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's, don't, whatever you do, never, ever, ever believe Eric Adams or trust what he's saying. Um, and it's, 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 even when he's not lying, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Perry, thank you very much. Hey, where in Garden City are you? You know, I'm on Butler Place. On what? Butler Place. Oh, yeah, you. I remember you. Okay, yeah, between Stewart and that uh, South uh, St. James. Hey, thank you very much. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful town, that Garden City. Thank you, sir, very much. It's been a while. Uh, Bill in Brooklyn, yes. Hey, uh, hey, Greg, thank you for taking my call. I'd like to say first it's an honor to speak to a true patriot like yourself. Hmm. Um, I wondered what your feelings were um uh, about maybe calling for a national call for support against hatred, bigotry, and terrorism, whether it's in Washington or New York. It seems like the uh, the silence is deafening. It sure is, right? It sure, it's really crazy and weird, and I had no idea the anti-Semitism was this deeply embedded. You know, you call for something like that, guess what the other side's going to call for, right? They'll call for the damn same, you know, the, the, there'll be one great big riot, but we got to do something. We got to call for something, or at least call out the anti-Semitism wherever we see it, and I'm seeing it a lot in the White House and, and beyond. Real, what? You know what, Greg, when you see the other side, when you see them protesting, you'll never see an American flag there. 
That's a good point, actually. That's a good it, point. It speaks, it speaks volumes. But yeah. I can tell you that uh, as, you know, as a Jewish person living in Brooklyn um, and knowing a little bit of my history, we've always been there in support for MLK, you know, with walking with MLK, uh, walking. I've, I personally have protested against hatred towards the Asian community and so on and so forth. But for us, it just seems like we're all alone. And I think Americans are, are realize or should realize that we're just a canary in the, in the mind, the proverbial uh, canary in the mind. If once they, 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 they're done with us, they're coming for everybody else. And it seems, again, it, it's so frightening, and it's especially to my – I have a 13-year-old son named Raphael. He's afraid to go out. I mean, he's really pensive, a lot, very pensive lately. He sees us uh, as, as, you know, very anxious. And it's really, really sad how quickly this vitriol and this hatred, as you just said, came out out of – we seemed that it, just, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. But obviously it's been festering. And I think that maybe we've been, you know, they're eating us from within. There's something really intrinsically wrong with the way society right now is going. Where in Brooklyn are you? I'm Flappish. Uh, and he, your son can't leave the house? Oh, he's afraid to go to school. We're afraid to let him walk out of the streets, and he's afraid to go. I mean, uh, friends up. I mean yeah. because he's Jewish, really? He's getting, I mean, is he identifiably? I mean, like, he's not wearing, he's not Hasidic, right? He's not Hasidic, no. But you know what? You, he hears everything and he sees what's going on, and it's it's really taking a toll on this innocent, innocent child. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Listen, number one, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, I know it feels that way sometimes. Uh, ben, you had that idea about a national day. Yeah, listen, I don't know. I just know this. You're not alone. I can't believe what's happening. It breaks my heart. Israel is doing what it must do, what it has to do. I hear these crazy people saying, well, you know, they... That Hamas was deliberately provoking and hoping for an overreaction. Can you believe that kind of strategy? Hey, whatever's in their crazy heads, Hamas, it's going to be, uh, <laughs> I don't care what the hell their strategy was. If they want it, they're going to get it. Hey, Bill, thank you. Best to your son. Keep in touch. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Here I am. Um, goodbye, Mike Pence. Wow. Not nice knowing you. Never impressed. Not in the least. Uh, I was scratching my head when Donald Trump chose you. And um, throughout your tenure as uh, vice president, whatever, you were just standing around, it looked like to me. And uh, your behavior um, around January 6th, before, during, and after, yes, I have a huge problem with all of it. With you running against the man who gave you the ultimate, ultimate opportunity in politics. <laughs> Excuse me. What was Mike Pence before Donald Trump made him vice president? Governor of a nowhere state. That's it. Who was, by the way, totally flailing. Trump has made a couple of mistakes. Number one, Mike Pence. Number two, General Milley. Not firing that guy on the spot. Everybody makes mistakes. Those were two doozies. Uh, you know what, though? Many, maybe picking uh, Pence at that moment, you know, had its benefits, whatever, helped him get elected. I don't know. You can, um, you can, um, you know, think yourself into the ground on that stuff. 
well, he works with certain conservatives in the evangelical community, and he will do this and that, and he needed somebody from the Midwest, and then he went married. I don't care. I think he just picked somebody. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It used to be you help somebody who gets you elected. Then the basically what everybody says about the vice presidency is whoever you pick, he can only hurt you. It's not going to help you, so find somebody who's not going to hurt you all that much. Mike Pence hurt the country, ultimately. And I, it call, for me, it all comes down to this. Now, after the election, close election, um, contested election, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, anomalies and irregularities that still to this day have not been sufficiently investigated. But we were um, we were looking at it, right? Everybody, there was it was contested. And that's okay in America to disagree about stuff. And we all looked up the elect. I did the Electoral Count Act of 1887, and under that uh, statute, and under uh, the Constitution itself, it seemed to many of us that Mike Pence had the authority under the Constitution, because he was the guy who was supposed to count the electoral votes. That if he saw something out of order with the electoral votes, he could send them back potentially to the state capitals and say, "Make sure these are okay," because I'm hearing there's problems with them. And they could look at it again, and then they could send it back to the Capitol and say, this is fine, or no, this is not fine, we're sending you this. Who knows? So on January 4th, 2021, a lot of people were talking about this. A lot of people believe this. A lot of people like John Eastman. A lot of people like me. A lot of people like Rudy Giuliani. A lot of people like Donald Trump. Of course, the mainstream media, big tech, right, because they're not with us on anything, so they're making us, trying to portray us as a bunch of maniacs. But Mike Pence is playing both sides, both sides. Mike Pence wants to kind of cozy up to people like me, actually, yet also take care of the the mainstream media and his his position in the swamp. So January 4th, 2021, he's in Georgia, two days before January 6th, and he pulls a big fake out. I consider this a big fake out. Cut 27, Mike Pence, January 4th, 2021. You know, we all all got our doubts about the last election. And I want to assure you, I share the concerns of millions of Americans about voting irregularities. And I promise you, come this Wednesday, we'll have our day in Congress. We'll hear the objections. We'll hear the evidence. But tomorrow is Georgia's day. All right, stop that part. We'll hear the evidence. We'll hear the objections. That was a big, like, okay, you know, this is within. I do remember being a little bit skeptical. Wait a second. Is he just playing us? Is he just doing something, you know? Is he just doing something here to make us feel good? I thought, no, he wouldn't do that. Because there was a lot of anticipation about January 6th. And if he was not going to, uh, you know, do anything creative. It would have been a little bit creative, right? Not done very often. You got to look it up. You got to find out if it's okay. And if it's okay, in our opinion, it was okay. You can disagree with this stuff. He could have come out and said, I ain't doing anything. The Constitution says this. I believe it means this. So I'm going to do such and such. But he knew, he knew that. He knew that. But he tried to fake everybody out. He could have just come out and said, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to be a rubber stamp. You can be a rubber stamp if you want. You can be a rubber. You can interpret it that way. Others don't. You could have said so publicly. And he knew it. He knew it. It wasn't like up to the last minute. So I'm reading from his book, 
It's called So Help Me God. And he said, as our, this is January 6th, the morning of January 6th. And you know what? Prayer is a beautiful thing, but I notice he tells everybody every time he prays. There's something conspicuous about it in a way that I can be conspicuous about it, but it's a way that somehow rubs me the wrong way. I don't know what it is. And you could say, I'm, I'm not being, there's something different about him and me between the two of us. There's something different. Anyway, January 6th, morning of. As our motorcade arrived at the east front of the Capitol, I saw thousands of protesters standing peacefully on the east lawn, just past a rope line opposite the entrance to the Senate. My heart went out to them. I turned to my daughter and said with a sigh, God bless those people. They're going to be so disappointed. Huh? So you already knew. Well, why the hell didn't you tell everybody? You're the vice president of the United States. You playing some sort of political game? You had a platform. You had a Twitter account. You could summon a press conference like that. It's not against the law. doesn't matter what Trump said or didn't say. You could have told everybody. You could have told everybody, but you didn't. Because you were playing a game. You were trying to play both sides. Mainstream and MAGA. You played MAGA on on January 4th. On January 6th, you played mainstream. And the people caught in the middle, people like uh, those chumps cheering your suburban as it went up to the Capitol. You know, all these guys, they write these books. And all they do is talk about the suburbans, the big cars they get, and the security detail, and how important that makes them feel. They just love bragging about it. You ever heard about alternate electors? Like, that's supposed to be a big scandal, the idea of alternate electors. Oh, Rudy Giuliani was talking about alternate electors. Alternate electors. Well, alternate electors aren't crazy, aren't illegal. They're, in every election, you see alternate election, electors. And let's go back to Mike Pence's book. It's a little, t- little t- tucked away here. Nobody ever mentions this part. I met with the parliamentarian of the Senate, Elizabeth McDonough, to discuss the procedures for the upcoming joint session on January 6th. I mentioned that I had heard that some alternate electors had been sent from several of the disputed states, and she told me that Congress always receives miscellaneous slates of electors every four years. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that just totally... Do you hear that anywhere? Did Mike Pence, who he put it in his book, did he go outside and say, nobody reads these stupid books but me? All right? Nobody does. I can prove that to you someday. Nobody does. They sell them. They buy them and they sell them, especially these nonfiction books, but nobody reads them. And those who do read them, quite frankly, they're not in a position to do anything about it. I'm kind of in a position to do something about it, a little something. And there's something about, I mean, this is the political obituary of, of Mike Pence. Here's the other beef. Let's see. We'll have our day in Congress. Oh, you know, January 6th. You ever see the pictures of him on January 6th? He's supposed to be in some sort of extremis. I see a guy on a cell phone, um, leaning against a car. That doesn't look that, uh, like that much to me. Now, this is very interesting here. He's talking to David Muir, you know, the guy with the hair on Channel 7. 
listen to this conversation from, uh, I don't know, six or seven months ago. Cut 29. Over the course of several hours, you spoke with the acting defense secretary. You spoke with the joint chiefs of staff, General Milley. I did. You spoke with the acting attorney general, Jeff Rosen, with the chief of Capitol Police. Where was the president in all this? David, I was at the Capitol. I wasn't at the White House. And when you learned later that he was watching all this unfold on TV, I can't, I can't account for what. Got cut off there. Where was the president in all of this? So you notice he called everybody in town. The military, the Justice Department, um, this guy, that guy, every guy. He never called the president. He never called Trump. That's, that's a betrayal. That's damn near evidence of a, of a coup. I don't know. You know, General Milley, I have a tape of him saying, bitching and moaning that on January 6th, he did not get a call from the president. General Milley, you're expecting a call from the president of the United States. He should have been checking in with you. And where the hell were you on January 6th? You're at the Pentagon. He wasn't at the Capitol. He was at the Pentagon. Were you watching it on TV? Don't believe that stuff about it. he was watching it on TV and laughing. Ha ha ha! Look at this riot! Ha ha ha! Ha ha ha! Let it burn! Ha ha! You gotta go back and look at what was on TV on January 6th. And nobody has the damn thought or the know-how or the curiosity to go back and look at what's going down on January 6th. To actually look at what people were seeing on television on that day. What were we actually seeing? You gotta go back and look at it. And you'll know what you see? <laughs> a bunch of people hanging around outside. A bunch of people hanging around outside. And you know what? I wasn't that horrified. Okay. At least they're not breaking stuff. At least they're not hurting anybody. At least they're not looting. At least they're not breaking glass. At least they're not setting police cars on fire. They're just hanging around. At the moment of truth that they all cite, you know, at 2.37 p.m. on Fox News, Brett Baer reported, There are reports of uh, mayhem inside the Capitol, uh, but we have not yet confirmed those reports. I looked up that actual clip, 2.37, because the January 6th committee is like bananas with that. 2.37, Fox News reported there was mayhem in the Capitol. Well, you know what they were showing on TV at 2.37? You couldn't see Brett Baer. Hello, this is Brett Baer. I am the most boring person on television. Somehow I am sitting here on Fox News. Uh, anyway. Oh yeah, there's mayhem inside the Capitol. <laughs> well, what you were actually seeing was a bunch of people on, 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 a gra- on grass walking around. Like it looked like after a concert and people were going home or before a concert, people, just people walking around on the grass. That's not such a big deal. It's just not a big deal. You don't call, uh, you don't go to DEFCON 5 over that. Anyway, the whole scam here, the whole admission and that nobody will pick up other than me is that these people weren't calling the president and that's their duty. 
It doesn't work the other way around. The president of the United States is not some security guard who gets in trouble because he saw something on television and he should have done something about it. It does not work that way. And even if it did, you have to go back and actually see what he was watching, even though you can't prove he was watching. Lots of people have TV on in the background. Lots of people. I have got three TVs right now. I'm looking four TVs. I can't hear one word they're saying. It's all on mute. There's a commercial for Medicare. There's some woman on New York One talking about something and, you know, like that. I don't. I'm sorry. This gets me all upset. It really does. Oh, one more thing about Mike Pence. He's, he doesn't want to be known as MAGA. He said a couple of weird things that also I realize this guy is no good. Cut 28, please. The, uh, the first half of this uh, on the Chuck Todd show. Do you consider yourself a MAGA Republican? Uh, I'm incredibly proud of what we did in the Trump-Pence administration for four years, and uh, you better believe it. In those four years, uh, after after eight years of the slowest recovery since the Great Depression, eight years of an, under Barack Obama and Joe Biden that saw military yeah, are you MAGA or what? Military, oh, that's me. Eight years of liberals <laughs> on our courts. Uh, under the Trump-Pence administration, MAGA. with the yes or no. MAGA Americans, we 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 literally did make America great. Do you feel again like you're a MAGA Republican that, or not? That pandemic struck, and look, I, look, I, I'm a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican in that order. You won't say it. What's wrong with "Make America Great Again"? Because the swamp doesn't like it. Because his future employers may not like it. You know, when you're an ex-vice president. Um, unless you're Joe Biden, you're not necessarily set for life. Okay. You got to make some money. He's only what? 60 something years old. He's got say so he wants to cash in. He wants to be hired. He wants to, he wants to be invited places. You don't get invited to too many places when you're MAGA, you know, goodbye, Mike Pence. Um, you really let us down and you let yourself down. And I think you know it. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Sandra in New Jersey. Hello. Hi. Hi, Greg. Uh, my condolences go out to Barbara Samuels. I can't imagine what it must be like to lose a sibling. I did try to reach out to her once upon a time when she started talking about her foundation. I did try. I went on LinkedIn or something like that. I never heard back, but I did make an attempt. But anyway, I'm sorry about her brother. I really am. Um, I wanted to mention today, if I could, that some illegal immigrants were caught crossing the border carrying explosive devices. They were the size of cannonballs. I mean, this is pretty scary. They're tailor-made for terrorism. Senators like Ted Cruz made a sounding alarm to the Biden administration. Uh, 18 people are on the terror. There was 18 people on the list for September, 172 last year. I don't know, 269,000 crossing the U.S. Mexican border. I know it's terrible, Sandra. It is so terrible. And those cannonballs, you're right. Size of cannonballs. Uh, Sandra, thank you for all that and your kind words about Barbara. I'm sure she appreciates it. We got to get you guys in touch, uh, one of these days. Gail in Valhalla. Hi. Oh, hi, Greg. 
I just want you to know, first of all, that I share and appreciate so much your views on the Holy Scriptures and God. Um, wonderful. Just so, so refreshing to hear someone on the airwaves talk about that and have the views that you did. The other thing is, obviously, it's a rhetorical question, but why is it okay to hate Jews and Judaism, yet we're not expected to have disdain for juvenile transgenderism? So much so that I've even heard that it's going to eventually be a hate crime to make a mistake on someone's pronouns. Like, are you kidding me? And yet it's okay to hate Jews and Judaism. I don't get it. Like, don't they see the hypocrisy? Like, what are we talking about here? One, you're talking about pronouns. The other, you're talking about a race of people who don't deserve to be hated. Gail, it's an amazing point. You're absolutely right. And right now in the U.K., you can actually get in trouble legally, thrown in jail for misgendering somebody, using the wrong pronoun. But you can go out in the street and yell and scream about genocide and root for Hamas and all that stuff. It is so wild and weird. Gail, thank you. Madeline is standing by in Islip. Hello, Madeline. Hello, Greg. I admire your courage for saying what few people are willing to say about addiction. There is a choice involved. Unfortunately, a lot of people make those choices when they're young and, you know, more understandable. And then once you get addicted, which I can see that is pretty easy, you know, it must be very difficult to stop. And it just goes to show you these rehabs can't be too great. If he went there 15, 19 times, he has a lot of money, so he can afford, like, the better places. But if you have a spiritual person telling you it's not your fault, that's like out of Goodwill Hunting, but when Robin Williams said it to Matt Damon. But that was about physical abuse when he was a child. It wasn't about, you know, using drugs for whatever reason. He could have been, you know, he moved a lot as a kid. Maybe he didn't fit in. Maybe he got too famous and figured he could do what he wants. Nobody knows. Everybody's different. My brother died of drugs over this summer. He was 55. And uh, a lot of the same struggles, I guess, as Matt had. But he went to rehabs, too. You know, I don't know. Could more have been done? Should he have done more? Should the family have done more? You know? I think a lot of people enable, unfortunately. And this idea that it's not your fault is kind of part of that. And, but it's a lot easier to say that because nobody wants to turn around and say, gee, what did you do? How come you didn't do more? Or how come you allowed him to do this? Or, you know. Wow, Madeline. Thank you so much for your, uh, wow. I, what was your brother's name? What? Brian. Brian, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. But uh, I'm really impressed with you, and I bet he is wherever he is. And listen, I could have been an addict, too, but I didn't use drugs, and I kept my alcohol in check. So I don't necessarily believe it's a disease. I love it, Madeline. Stay in touch, and thank you. I'll be back. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.